Hey there, it's Pete Mundo here with HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. If you want a free Heartland College Sports koozie, got a few left, email me a screenshot of your rating and your review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com, and I will get that koozie in the mail for you. Screenshot of the review, Pete Mundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great day, and uh, enjoy the show. Well, let's turn our attention to some hoops here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. I'm Pete Mundo, and let's welcome in a guy who, if you really follow this website at all, I mean, anything about this website, if you follow it right now over the past several weeks, this guy has been on fire with the basketball coverage. I would guarantee it that you're not getting this kind of expansive Big 12 hoops coverage anywhere else, and that's from Matthew Postens doing great work for us. So, Matthew, let's um, let's start with the top of this conference. You know, Kansas uh, gets by Iowa State on Big Monday. They were down at halftime, came back in that game. This team feels like it's been a little bit out of sorts the last couple of weeks without Azubuke. Is this still the team that beat in the Big 12 Conference as of right now? I, I'm not going to bet against them. Uh, I mean, I've seen Bill Self turn water into wine, so to speak, too many times over the past decade. Uh, to bet against them in terms of winning the regular season championship. But I think it's really clear to me after the first three weeks of this season that it's it's going to be a four-horse race You know, when it comes to who's going to win the regular season title. And those horses are Kansas, Kansas State, uh, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. And as we've seen the first three weeks of the season, um, everybody's got some vulnerabilities. You talked about Azubikoi not being on the floor uh, Kansas is starting to figure out the floor spacing issue that he created for them from a, a defensive standpoint. Um, and I think they could solve that with Marcus Garrett being able to be more of a driver and slasher to the basket. If he's more successful doing that, and he's been doing that more now the last two or three games, uh, that's going to create uh, situations where the defense is going to have to account for him as he drives to the lane. And then he, he can become a kicker of the basketball outside to players like LeGerald Dick and even Dedrick Lawson out in the paint. You know, Tech has some vulnerabilities when it comes to um, the little things that are kind of out of calibration right now. You know, they're, they're one loss to Iowa State. They shot horribly at the free throw line. They lost to Baylor. They had uh, 18, 19 turnovers. So uh, they've got some little things they have to adjust. Kansas State's vulnerability is depth. I mean, they've got Dean Wade back and they've got um, Kamal Stokes back, but they're really a six-player rotation team right now with a couple of guys who come off the bench and give them some – uh, give those guys a spell. So depth is their real issue. And for Iowa State, I, I think it's uh, a little bit of youth right now. I mean, I think they may be the deepest team in the conference when you think about the number of guys that can come into the game and contribute for them and then not really miss a beat. But they've got a lot of youth on the floor, especially in the starting lineup. And as you saw Monday night uh, against Kansas, they had they got rattled a little bit now in Fieldhouse. And that's not, not to be unexpected with younger players. Uh, but that was a contributing reason why they lost that game. And that combined with the fact that they haven't really been consistent yet this season in terms of over a two, three week stretch. Uh, I think that youth is really their vulnerability right now. So every, there, there are four teams that I think could actually win this conference. I'm still going to bet on Kansas because they have the experience to do it, but everybody has a vulnerability right now. And that's what makes the conference so interesting. 
Well, uh, you, you mentioned that Kansas, you're going to give them still the edge right now as the favorite. But of those other three teams that you mentioned, uh, they're all flawed, but they all certainly can make a case for why they'll win the Big 12. Who would you say, all right, if Kansas doesn't win this thing, Matthew, who you think will, uh, what's going to be the storyline? Who's going to have jumped them? And the Iowa State game's already in the book. So is it them now or is it somebody else that they have yet to play? I think the the interesting part of this, I think it's the two teams that they have yet to play, and that's Texas Tech and Kansas State. And they have two games with both of those teams coming up. And, you know, if Kansas State had had to play Kansas a couple of weeks ago, they would have lost that that, game, that first meeting, I think, mm-hmm. because Dean Wade was, was hurt and not on the floor. Now that Wade is back, they've got a, a full complement of guys that they can play against Kansas. They play Kansas extremely well. Um, they're the – most experienced team in the conference across the board. And to me, even though I love what Texas Tech has done, especially with how they play defense, how they limit offensive possessions for their opponents, uh, the kind of play that Jarrett Culver's given them the first week and first three weeks in Big 12 play, if, if I'm looking at it objectively, I think Kansas State has the best chance to unseat them. I think they could sweep Kansas. I really think they have enough talent to do that. The question is, as, as we get deeper into this, can Kansas State hold serve enough in those other games if they're able to at least split with Kansas to give themselves an opportunity to win the regular season title? If I'm betting on one team to overtake Kansas right now, it's going to be Kansas State. Matthew Postens, you read them all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate him joining us to talk some Big 12 hoops, which is in full swing. Uh, he's covering it as well, if not better than anybody. So, uh, you know, you mentioned K-State, and there's no doubt they have a great, you know, starting, let's say, especially top four, right? When you look at start with Wade, get the Stokes, everybody else, uh, Snead and, and Barry Brown involved with this rotation. But uh, is that depth, How you know, you brought up the depth. How concerned are you about that for K-State as the season grinds along? You know, you got the Big 12 SEC Challenge this weekend and as you get closer to March. It concerns me a little bit, and it is my biggest concern about them coming into the season. You know, they, they tailed off a little bit going into the Big 12 tournament last year, and part of that was losing Dean Wade to injury late in the Big 12 season. That had something to do with it. Uh, but, of course, they, they managed to overcome that and get to the Elite Eight uh, in the NCAA tournament. You know, any team that's only rotating really six guys out there 30 minutes at a time, that concerns me a little bit in a Power 5 league like this. Now, they've got some – some okay depth. You know, Sean Neal Williams is a freshman who's given them some okay minutes. Uh, Mike McGurl had a 17-point game for them uh, when uh, Dean Wade was hurt, so he can at least give them some points. But there's really not a lot of guys on their bench that they're really relying on. It's really that those core five starters plus Cartier GR are coming off the bench. That, that's really their six guys. So, you know, there are going to be some games where I would hope Bruce Weber would almost manage the minutes like an NBA coach and find ways to get these guys off the floor and give them some breaks, especially as they get closer to the end of the season. Because, it, you know, they, I felt like they felt the wear and tear mm-hmm. last year down the stretch. Uh, I don't have their record in front of me from last year in terms of what they did down the stretch, but just the eye test for me and watching their last three or four games, I kind of felt like they were worn down a little bit, even when Dean Wade was on the floor. So I think that's their biggest impediment right now. they They've got to have a guy like Sean Neal Williams or Mike McGurl who can give them not just you know eight ten minutes off the bench, but give them something like scoring or rebounding or assists, or, or give them something that they haven't been getting consistently from those guys who are on the bench right now. 
You know, Matthew, one team you haven't mentioned is the Baylor Bears, and you look at Baylor, and they've, you know, they've beaten two of the teams that you've mentioned, uh, Iowa State and Texas Tech. Are we not taking the Bears seriously enough, or is there something there that you're just not a fan of right now? I'm, I'm starting to take them more seriously than I took them a couple of weeks ago. When, when they lost Tristan Clark to injury, I'll be honest with you, I thought they were done. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that had already lost Jake Lindsey, one of their guards, uh, out for the season and redshirted for injury. And then they lose Tristan Clark for the season uh, about two or three games into the Big 12 season. I really thought they were toast, honestly. I mean, they've got some interesting young players in that team, like Flo Bamba, who's a, a junior college transfer, who's starting to get a little more playing time. He's kind of the uh, Joe Ocuil type of player maybe down the road. But with Clark out, I thought they were done. And what, what Scott Drew has done the last two weeks has just been masterful, and just in terms of getting – what he needs out of these guys to make them successful against teams like Iowa State and, um, and, and Texas Tech. And what he's really done, which is really interesting, he's almost adopted a five-guard alignment, which for a starting lineup in a conference like this really is interesting because you know their best rebounder is Mark Vital, and he's a six-five guard. I mean, that, they're doing some really interesting stuff right now. And what, what helps them so much, and we kind of make light of this a little bit because they're the only team in the league that plays the zone defense on a regular basis. They play a 1-3-1. But playing the 1-3-1 makes it a lot easier for Scott Drew to plug guys in who don't have a lot of experience, maybe may not be the best man-to-man defenders in the world, but they can play an area and play it well. And I think that's part of the reason why they've been successful these past couple of weeks because the rest of these Big 12 teams, they play man defense most of the time. And when you go in and you play a, guy, a team like Baylor, especially in a couple of days rest, it's a lot different trying to get the basketball rotated around the perimeter against a 1-3-1 zone than it is you know, running weaves and running pick and rolls out of a man defense. And I think that's, those are two of the big reasons why Baylor is where they are right now. Uh, I don't think they're a player to win the conference. I don't necessarily think they're a player to seriously challenge those top four teams. But in terms of being, you know, the fifth, sixth team in the conference, I think they're right there right now. Among those teams that are in those bottom six, they're playing the best basketball right now without question. Matthew Poston's joining us. Read them all the time. Big 12 expert on uh, hoops here in the conference. So, you know, Matthew, a team I want to touch on is the Texas Longhorns, who – if we're being fair, you know, Shaka Smart has not come here and done what everybody thought he was going to do. And to kind of rub salt in the wound, uh, Rick Barnes is having a hell of a lot of success there with the Tennessee Vols. So this team has yet to win an NCAA tournament game since the Rick Barnes era. How much heat? I know we got Matthew McConaughey on the sidelines in his orange suits and everything else. But actually looking at the program, how much heat should Shaka Smart be taking? I think you should be taking some heat. I don't know if it's enough heat to, to get him fired or, or put him on the, you know, quote unquote hot seat. But, you know, as good as the recruiting classes have been at Texas the past few years, I kind of feel like he has certainly underachieved based on those. I mean, you lose a guy like Mo Bamba, that's a big deal. I mean, Mo Bamba was a special player and I think most folks thought he was only going to be there a year anyway. And when you, you sign a guy like that, you go in knowing that you may only get a year out of them. And when I look at this year's team, I think he has guys now mm-hmm. that are going to be there for two, three, maybe their entire collegiate career. And I think that's important from a player development standpoint because when he was successful at Virginia Commonwealth, it wasn't because he was getting five-star guys. It was because he was getting two-star and three-star guys 
and making them into four- and five-star guys through player development over a four-year cycle. they got a great kid in Jackson Hayes, uh, who I think can be a really good forward in this league, but I don't think he's going to the NBA this year. Neither are guys like uh, Matt Coleman and Jason Fabris and, um, and, and Kerwin Roach II. You know, these guys are not guys who are, are going to leave early for the NBA. They're going to be around another year or two, so Shaka has time to develop them. I'm really interested to see that, assuming you know he's here beyond this season, I'm, I'm really interested to see how he's going to develop these guys and make them into something maybe more than they are right now. But based on what I think everybody's expectation was for Shaka coming in, based on the recruiting classes, you know, based on the players he's brought in, I, I think it would be safe to say that he's underachieved in his first uh, several seasons here at Texas. And juxtaposed against the fact that Tennessee is now the number one team in the country under Rick Barnes, it looks even worse. Mm-hmm. Matthew, you know, as as you look at the bottom of the conference, West Virginia's there. I, I know, you know, it was a crazy win last weekend against Kansas, but it's been a rough year. Uh, we know injuries, Kanate, you know, it's, it's hurt them. But I, I could not believe this, Matthew. You know, the people that actually over the past couple of weeks were somehow implying that Bob Huggins is either washed up, past his prime. I, you know, I, I love West Virginia fans, Matthew. I love them. I think they're great. But how delusional do you have to be to think that somehow Bob Huggins has lost the pulse and forgotten how to coach basketball? He hasn't forgotten how to coach basketball. Uh, He hasn't lost the pulse of of the game. What he did kind of admit to on Tuesday, last Tuesday, when I covered the CCU game, was that he, he has guys in his team that have not bought in to what he's trying to do. He has guys who he says say all the right things during practice, but when they get out there in the game, they're not executing. He said his coaches put together a great game plan for the TCU game, and his players didn't execute it, which made the win over Kansas last weekend all the more surprising to me. I think the biggest indictment against Bob Huggins this season is that he did not plan ahead to have a true point guard on this team when Javon Carter graduated. Mm -hmm. It's not like you didn't know that was coming. It's not like you didn't know Javon Carter was going to leave at some point his senior year. And they don't have a true point guard in this team. They don't have a ball handler. The best guy they have is probably Jermaine Haley. He's so you don't buy into Bolden, guard, huh? He's really not a point guard. You don't buy into so Bolden. That's an indictment, huh? You don't buy into Bolden at all? As a point guard, no. As okay. an off guard, yes. I mean, uh, James has had two or three really good games here in this stretch. But I don't buy into him as a point guard. I buy into him as a two guard. Uh, he's not a guy that, to me, can run the offense on a consistent basis. He can do it as a stopgap guy for mm-hmm. five or ten minutes in a game. But as a consistent 30-game point guard over an entire season, I, I don't buy into his ability to do that. Um, they've got some other guards like Brandon Napper who could be that one day, but he turns over the ball too much right now. Uh, they just don't have a true ball handler, and they're trying to do it by committee. And because of that, they don't always get into the offense they need to get into. And you have some guys out there who are truly just kind of freelancing. Plus, their whole lineup is just skewed right now. Their starting lineup gives them almost no production, but they're getting good production from guys like Bolden and Napper off their bench. So, mm-hmm. yeah, to me, the biggest problem right now, along with Kanate, is the fact that they just didn't recruit a point guard uh, or just don't have a, a true point guard this season. And because of that, you know, Bob Huggins has no general on the floor, and he's kind of grasping for straws in terms of what, what, to get, what kind of production he can get out of these guys, especially when he says, in his own words, 
some of them haven't bought into what he's trying to do. Uh-huh. Uh, Matthew, the Oklahoma schools, you know, OU especially got off to a maybe surprisingly hot start in non-conference play. They come crashing down to earth a little bit here in conference play now. Uh, any reason for excitement in uh, in the entire state of Oklahoma right now? Uh, I think Oklahoma will figure it out. I mean, Long Kruger is too good a coach not to, to figure out what the problems are. And, you know, for me, it's they still don't have a lot of consistency inside. Christian Doolittle gave them two or three really, really good games inside. Uh, but they're, they're not, they don't have a lot of consistency on the inside uh, game right now with him and McNeese. Uh, Christian James had a great season. And, you know, if, if Christian James were Trey Young, uh, I think we'd probably be talking about Oklahoma a little bit more. But Christian James is the kind of player who put in a lot of improvement in the offseason. Uh, I think he shot like, you know, a thousand shots a day uh, every day during the summer. And it shows in how he's scoring the basketball. Brady Manick has improved. Uh, they've got a, a freshman named Jamal Bienemy, who I think is going to be a really good player for them at the guard position here. Uh, toward the end of this season and then in the next season. But, you know, they don't have a real heavy inside game like they did with Kadeem Latin last year. And I think that's kind of impacting them now that they got into the rigors of Big 12 play. You know, as for Oklahoma State, I mean, we got to talk about that. They dismissed three players last week and walk-on tryouts last Thursday. None of the walk-ons were good enough to be on the team in Mike Winton's estimation. So you've got eight scholarship players. You've got nine players on the roster. And they're going to bring in a few walk-ons just to be scout guys. So they've got a long road ahead of them. And, you know, as I said on my Facebook Live uh, last week, you know, I don't think Mike Boynton should lose his job over this, but uh, I think there's got to be a discussion after the season about the fact that Mike Boynton has had to, do, had to dismiss players, multiple players, each of his first two seasons in uh, Stillwater. And let me think in terms of the type of athletes he's recruiting, the type of players he's recruiting, or, you know, any recalibration that needs to occur because of that. Let's get Doug Gottlieb on board. What do you say there, Matthew? I would... <laughs> Bring back Doug. Give me Doug Gottlieb. Not a fan? TV, TV analyst and radio host don't make good coaches. Let's, uh, just, uh, let's just leave it at that. I'm offended that you said that much. But, uh... <laughs> He's Matthew Postens. Uh, he mentioned the Facebook Live. Please do if you haven't, and if you don't. I know many of you do, but uh, like our Facebook page, Heartland College Sports. Matthew doing a Facebook Live there or two a week to uh, catch you up to speed on the Big 12 Hope scene. And, Matthew, we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Pete. Great insight from Matthew Post, and always appreciate a few minutes out of him. Uh, please do rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and I will get you that free koozie if you send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you soon. You know, Matthew, one team you haven't mentioned is the Baylor Bears, and you look at Baylor, and they've you know they've beaten two of the teams that you've mentioned, uh, Iowa State and Texas Tech. Are we not taking the Bears seriously enough, or is there something there that you're just not a fan of right now? I'm I'm starting to take them more seriously than I took them a couple of weeks ago. When when they lost Tristan Clark to injury, I'll be honest with you, I thought they were done. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that had already lost Jake Lindsey, one of their guards, uh, out for the season and redshirted for injury. And then they lose Tristan Clark for the season uh, about two or three games into the Big 12 season. I really thought they were toast, honestly. I mean, they've got some interesting young players in that team, like Flo Thamba, who's a, a junior college transfer, who's starting to get a little more playing time. He's kind of the uh, Joe Akiwil type of player maybe down the road. 
But with Clark out, I thought they were done. And what what Scott Drew has done the last two weeks has just been masterful, and just in terms of getting what he needs out of these guys to make them successful against teams like Iowa State and um, and Texas Tech. And what he's really done, which is really interesting, he's almost adopted a five guard alignment, which for a starting lineup in a conference like this really is interesting because you know their best rebounder is Mark Vital, and he's a six five guard. I mean, that, they're doing some really interesting stuff right now. And what, what helps them so much, and we kind of make light of this a little bit because they're the only team in the league that plays the zone defense on a regular basis. They play a 1-3-1. But playing the 1-3-1 makes it a lot easier for Scott Drew to plug guys in who don't have a lot of experience, maybe may not be the best man-to-man defenders in the world, but they can play an area and play it well. And I think that's part of the reason why they've been successful these past couple of weeks because the rest of these Big 12 teams, they play man defense most of the time. And when you go in and you play a, guy, a team like Baylor, especially in a couple of days rest, it's a lot different trying to get the basketball rotated around the perimeter against a 1-3-1 zone than it is you know, running weaves and running pick and rolls out of a man defense. And I think that's, those are two of the big reasons why Baylor is where they are right now. Uh, I don't think they're a player to win the conference. I don't necessarily think they're a player to seriously challenge those top four teams. But in terms of being, you know, the fifth, sixth team in the conference, I think they're right there right now. Among those teams that are in those bottom six, they're playing the best basketball right now without question. Matthew Poston joining us. Read him all the time. Big 12 expert on uh, hoops here in the conference. So, you know, Matthew, a team I want to touch on is the Texas Longhorns, who – if we're being fair, you know, Shaka Smart has not come here and done what everybody thought he was going to do. And to kind of rub salt in the wound, Rick Barnes is having a hell of a lot of success there with the Tennessee Vols. So this team has yet to win an NCAA tournament game since the Rick Barnes era. How much heat? I know we got Matthew McConaughey on the sidelines and his orange suits and everything else. But actually looking at the program, how much heat should Shaka Smart be taking? I think he should be taking some heat. I don't know if it's enough heat to, to get him fired or, or put him on the, you know, quote-unquote hot seat. But, you know, as good as the recruiting classes have been at Texas the past few years, I kind of feel like he has certainly underachieved based on those. I mean, you lose a guy like Mo Bamba, that's a big deal. I mean, Mo Bamba was a special player, and I think most folks thought he was only going to be there a year anyway. And when you, you sign a guy like that, you go in knowing that you may only get a year out of them. And when I look at this year's team, I think he has guys now mm-hmm. that are going to be there for two, three, maybe their entire collegiate career. And I think that's important from a player development standpoint because when he was successful at Virginia Commonwealth, it wasn't because he was getting five-star guys. It was because he was getting two-star and three-star guys and making them into four- and five-star guys through player development over a four-year cycle. they got a great kid in Jackson Hayes. Uh, who I think can be a really good forward in this league, but I don't think he's going to the NBA this year. Neither are guys like uh, Matt Coleman and Jason Fevris and, um, and and Kerwin Roach II. You know, these guys are not guys who are, are going to leave early for the NBA. They're going to be around another year or two, so Shaka has time to develop them. I'm really interested to see that, assuming you know he's here beyond this season, I'm, I'm really interested to see how he's going to develop these guys and make them into something maybe more than they are right now. But based on what I think everybody's expectation was for Shaka coming in, based on the recruiting classes, you know, based on the players he's brought in, I think it would be safe to say 
that he's underachieved in his first uh, several seasons here at Texas. And juxtaposed against the fact that Tennessee is now the number one team in the country under Rick Barnes, it looks even worse. Mm-hmm. Matthew, you know, as as you look at the bottom of the conference, West Virginia's there. I, I know, you know, it was a crazy win last weekend against Kansas, but it's been a rough year. Uh, we know injuries, Kanate, you know, it's, it's hurt them. But I, I could not believe this, Matthew. You know, the people that actually over the past couple of weeks were somehow implying that Bob Huggins is either washed up, past his prime. I, you know, I, I love West Virginia fans, Matthew. I love them. I think they're great. But how delusional do you have to be to think that somehow Bob Huggins has lost the pulse and forgotten how to coach basketball? He hasn't forgotten how to coach basketball. Uh, He hasn't lost the pulse of of the game. What he did kind of admit to on Tuesday, last Tuesday, when I covered the CCU game, was that he, he has guys in his team that have not bought in to what he's trying to do. He has guys who he says say all the right things during practice, but when they get out there in the game, they're not executing. He said his coaches put together a great game plan for the TCU game, and his players didn't execute it, which made the win over Kansas last weekend all the more surprising to me. I think the biggest indictment against Bob Huggins this season is that he did not plan ahead to have a true point guard on this team when Javon Carter graduated. Mm -hmm. It's not like you didn't know that was coming. It's not like you didn't know Javon Carter was going to leave at some point his senior year. And they don't have a true point guard in this team. They don't have a ball handler. The best guy they have is probably Jermaine Haley. And so you don't buy into Bolden, huh? He's really not a point guard. You don't buy into so Bolden. That's an indictment, huh? You don't buy into Bolden at all? As a point guard, no. As okay. an off guard, yes. I mean, uh, James has had two or three really good games here in this stretch. But I don't buy into him as a point guard. I buy into him as a two guard. Uh, he's not a guy that, to me, can run the offense on a consistent basis. He can do it as a stopgap guy for mm-hmm. five or ten minutes in a game. But as a consistent 30-game point guard over an entire season, I, I don't buy into his ability to do that. Um, they've got some other guards like Brandon Napper who could be that one day, but he turns over the ball too much right now. Uh, they just don't have a true ball handler, and they're trying to do it by committee. And because of that, they don't always get into the offense they need to get into. And you have some guys out there who are truly just kind of freelancing. Plus, their whole lineup is just skewed right now. Their starting lineup gives them almost no production, but they're getting good production from guys like Bolden and Napper off their bench. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, the biggest problem right now, along with Kanate, is the fact that they just didn't recruit a point guard uh, or just don't have a, a true point guard this season. And because of that, you know, Bob Huggins has no general on the floor, and he's kind of grasping for straws in terms of what, what, to get, what kind of production he can get out of these guys, especially when he says, in his own words, some of them haven't bought into what he's trying to do. Uh-huh. Uh, Matthew, the Oklahoma schools, you know, OU especially got off to a maybe surprisingly hot start in non-conference play. They come crashing down to earth a little bit here in conference play now. Uh, any reason for excitement in uh, in the entire state of Oklahoma right now? Uh, I think Oklahoma will figure it out. I mean, Long Kruger is too good a coach not to, to figure out what the problems are. And, you know, for me, it's they still don't have a lot of consistency inside. Christian Doolittle gave them two or three really, really good games inside, uh, but they're they're not they don't have a lot of consistency on the inside uh, game right now with him and McNeese. Uh, Christian James had a great season, and you know if if Christian James were Trey Young, uh, I think we'd probably be talking about Oklahoma a little bit more. But Christian James is the kind of player who put in a lot of improvement in the off season. Uh, I think he shot like you know a thousand shots a day. 
uh, every day during the summer. And it shows in how he's scoring the basketball. Brady Manick has improved. Uh, they've got a, a freshman named Jamal Bienemy, who I think is going to be a really good player for them at the guard position here uh, toward the end of this season and then in the next season. But, you know, they don't have a real heavy inside game like they did with Kadeem Latin last year. And I think that's kind of impacting them now that they got into the rigors of Big 12 play. Yeah, as for Oklahoma State, I mean, we got to talk about that. They dismissed three players last week and walk-on tryouts last Thursday. None of the walk-ons were good enough to be on the team in Mike Boynton's estimation. So you've got eight scholarship players. You've got nine players on the roster. And they're going to bring in a few walk-ons just to be scout guys. So they've got a long road ahead of them. And, you know, as I said on my Facebook Live uh, last week, you know, I don't think Mike Boynton should lose his job over this, but uh, I think there's got to be a discussion after the season about the fact that Mike Boynton has had to, do, had to dismiss players multiple players, each of his first two seasons in uh, Stillwater. And let me think in terms of the type of athletes he's recruiting, the type of players he's recruiting, or, you know, any recalibration that needs to occur because of that. Let's get Doug Gottlieb on board. What do you say there, Matthew? I would... <laughs> Bring back Doug. Give me Doug Gottlieb. Not a fan? TV, TV analyst and radio host don't make good coaches. Let's, uh, just, uh, let's just leave it at that. I'm offended that you said that much. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's Matthew Postens. Uh, he mentioned the Facebook Live. Please do if you haven't, and if you don't. I know many of you do, but uh, like our Facebook page, Heartland College Sports. Matthew doing a Facebook Live there or two a week to uh, catch you up to speed on the Big 12 Hope scene. And, Matthew, we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Pete. Great insight from Matthew Postens. Always appreciate a few minutes out of him. Uh, please do rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and I will get you that free koozie if you send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you soon.